Well, let's say we're going through four weeks of looking into some of the topics that we cover in the discipleship class that's offered here at the church um, in the hopes that um, we all would be um, encouraged in our walk with the Lord, but then also that we would find other people who might um, also benefit from this ministry. So with that in mind, let's begin with prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for um, the call that you give us, the call to follow you, to um, leave behind our nets and everything um, that um, that we call ours in this life, to leave behind even those shreds of our own identity um, that have been broken at our feet. Lord, you, leave, you call us to leave everything and to come and to follow you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are indeed the way, the truth, and the life, and that following you brings life. Putting our whole trust in you brings life to us spiritually. And um, and at the last day. And so we thank you for that. And we ask, Lord, through um, these four classes, but especially through this class today, that you would work through your servants, through me and through Tricia, to cause your word to go forth um, and that there would be life as a result of it, even in these short minutes that we have um, for this class, Lord. Would you be the one to bear fruit in our hearts? And we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, so um, I just want to go over a couple quick things about what um, what is discipleship. You ask this question, what does this mean to be a disciple? Well, in the New Testament, we find that the actual word disciple, um, I love words and what words mean. The actual word for disciple in the Greek, I get really nerdy about this, it is mathetai, is plural for disciples. And do you hear how it sounds like mathematics? The English word for mathematics is derived from that same root word. And that word mathetai means learners. Those who are disciples are learners. And as disciples of Jesus, we are learners or followers of Jesus Christ. And you heard this in the first century. There was this context where um, rabbis who were Jewish teachers would have their own disciples, their own following of these students who would follow them around and learn from them. And there was a, almost a technical phrasing used for that kind of learning. And you hear it a lot in even the early church writings where it would say, so-and-so sat at the feet of so-and-so who sat at the feet of so-and-so. We hear it um, Irenaeus sat at the feet of Polycarp, who sat at the feet of John, who sat at the feet of Jesus. And that's a way of authenticating the teaching and proving this teaching is authentic. This came directly from Jesus in a line all the way down to Irenaeus a couple of centuries later. Um, So sitting at the feet of someone was a sign of being or a phrase to describe being a disciple of someone, a follower or a learner of someone. And we have in Matthew 28, as you can see on your handout, there's this charge that Jesus gives his disciples after he has risen from the dead and he's about to ascend into heaven. He meets them at a mountain in Galilee and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So there's this command directly from Jesus Christ himself to go and make disciples. And so this command, um, we're trying to follow this command at the Advent in many ways. There are many ways that we try to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of those ways is through the discipleship class. Um, The discipleship class at the Advent um, was started almost 10 years ago. In fact, it was 10 years ago by Heidi Kinner, who was, um, uh, at the time, was she Kinner Missioner or Vice Dean? 
just became a missioner, and then she became vice dean after that. Um, she started it really as a way for a smaller group of women to meet with her very regularly, to learn um, the basics of the Christian faith, to learn um, an overview of scripture, to have the tools and resources to be able to explore their faith further. Um, and this kind of growth is something that's not just vertical. I think of vertical growth as growth in intimacy and depth of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also horizontal growth in relationship um, with each other as sisters of Christ, of Christ, in Christ. And so this four-semester-long class attempts to um, set up um, a place where uh, women can grow vertically and horizontally, spiritually. Um, and so we have three, uh, some different components to it. Every woman practices giving her spiritual autobiography, which is a way of saying how learning and asking God and saying, Lord, how does my story fit into your story? How does your story help me understand my story? Where have you been speaking to me all throughout my life? How have you called me to be a follower of you from the very beginning? How have you bought and redeemed me? Um, where do I see your hand at work in my life? And that's how the class begins. It's one semester where every woman gets an opportunity to reflect and then share with the group what um, God has been doing in her life. And then there are two semesters that are more intense on learning, learning about scripture, um, the basics of scripture, and some as well as some church history, some theology, um, some devotional practice. What does it mean um, on a day-to-day basis to be a follower of Jesus Christ? One of the goals of being a follower, a disciple, and we see this in the first century and in scripture as well, is that learners, disciples, then become teachers. We don't learn something simply for the sake of having it to ourselves and feeling really good about it, which is awesome, that's great, but we learn it so that we can then go forth and share it with other people. And so part of this class, again, encourages each learner to also eventually become a teacher and learn how to feel comfortable and confident sharing um, what we've learned with each other and with others as we go forth from the class. So um, this is a little overview of the class. I won't do this every week, um, but I wanted to give you a quick little um, couple bullet points about what it is. Um, and today we're digging in to one particular aspect of the class, uh, probably definitely the most important aspect of the class. As learners and followers of Jesus Christ, we seek to know him as he is and not as we would like for him to be. And the way to do that is by studying scripture. You know how you sort of have this image in your head of who a person is? Um, maybe today it's our moms. We have this image of who our moms are. Um, or, but we know our moms too well, right? We really know how they actually are. Um, but maybe it's this idealized person that's apart from us. And we sort of imagine that they're like this and such. I did this with my unborn child. I thought, she's going to be like this and this and this. <laughs> but no. <laughs> by actually meeting her and finding out, getting to know who she is, um, it's so much more wonderful than the she that existed in my head before I actually met her and got to know her better. Well, Jesus is like that as well. We can imagine Jesus to be who we want him to be um, for us, but we won't know him as he really is unless we study scripture and engage in scripture. And so the word of God does its work upon us. It reveals to us who Jesus Christ is, who he really is. The word convicts us and corrects us. The word encourages us and reassures us of our salvation. And the word gives us strength for today. This word gives us um, manna or bread for our spiritual journey, just like the Israelites needed bread in the desert. 
And so that's one of the reasons why we study the word and um, why Trisha is going to give us an overview of scripture from Genesis to Revelation in the remaining time, which is an incredible challenge. But if anybody is up to the task, it's Trisha. Thank you, Trisha, so much. You can get started and I'll put the microphone right here for you. So um, in any when any new discipleship class starts, we're going to have a variety of Christians. There's going to be some who are very mature Christians, and there's going to be some brand new Christians. So we try to always start with a blank slate and to teach as if the listeners don't know any of the material. Um, understanding of the Bible, obviously, is key to being a Christian. Um, my friend Deborah has used the analogy that we're like the mama birds who chew up the worms before we feed them to the baby birds. So it's our our goal to equip our listeners with the tools to do the same thing. And so we try to just absorb the material and then present it in the simplest way, which is sometimes the hardest um, thing to do. We use a lot of um, outside reading in addition to the Bible. Um, the Jesus Storybook Bible is a great place to start. Um, and especially with your kids, uh, the, this little book, A Walk Through the Bible, there's uh, various handouts. There's um, also kind of a more technical book on how to read and study different genres of the Bible. And these are all here for you. But um, I'll be referring today some to what's in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, so my task is to present this bird's eye view of the Bible in less than 20 minutes. Um, now about less than 15 <laughs> Um, so the Christian Bible is 66 books uh, written by more than 40 authors over a period of 2,000 years in two languages, Hebrew and Greek. The primary author of the Bible, though, is God. Um, just as Jesus was fully divine and fully human, the Bible is um, God-breathed. It says in your handout, um, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. It is God's message and it is divine, a divine message, but it's delivered through the personalities of the men that he chose to put that message forth. Um, this, we have, this was available in the bookstore. It's a little Bible bookcase, and it's kind of a helpful visual in how the Bible's arranged and the different genres of scripture that there are. Um, and each book can only fit into the peg where it's supposed to belong. So, um, but uh, anyway, that's neat. But it's also, since not everybody can see that, it's also on one of your handouts. We've got it arranged. But um, I had never really thought of the Bible like that. Um, what's unique about the Bible, though, is that it's not just this collection of 66 books on a shelf. Um, we can draw out one of these books and use it to seek comfort or to seek guidance. Um, but really, it's one storyline. Um, it's not just stories about God, stories about Jesus, stories about Israel that are all um, separate and discrete. It is it's one book. It outlines the creation, the fall, separation from God, and salvation. Um, the introduction to this Jesus Storybook Bible says that all the Bible's stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. Um, also, it's a, it's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace and his throne and everything to rescue the one that he loves. It's the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. Uh, so what are some things we know about God? He is the hero of the Bible. He loves us so much and pursues us 
despite our sins and our foolishness. He wants to protect us from ourselves, and he is faithful to us, and he has a plan to rescue us out of the sin that we are in. And if there's one thing I want you to take away from this is that God never intended for Jesus to be plan B. It was not as if, well, the Israelites cannot get it together, so let me think what else I can come up with. Oh, yes, Jesus. It was not that. He was not plan B. Jesus was present at creation, um, John 1, 1. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was, uh, was with God, and the Word was God. Um, our salvation history was worked out before the foundations of the world. I found this book um, several years ago, and it really... Uh, helped me to understand the Old Testament and how it fit in to the story, this big storyline that we're talking about. It's called God's Big Picture, Tracing the Storyline of the Bible. And this is, it's in the sources that it's at the top of your handout. But um, it is helpful to me, but it uses some alliteration um, to lay out what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And this is all in your handout. But um, it, it separates these things into um, the pattern kingdom, the, the parish kingdom, the promise kingdom, etc. Um, and we spend a lot of time in Genesis at the beginning because it's important. There are important things in there to know, but we're just going to kind of take a quick walk through that today. Uh, so the pattern of the kingdom is it's laid out in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Creation was made to glorify God and enjoy his holy presence forever. Note that's holy presence. God cannot, he's holy and cannot be in the presence of sin. We were created to be under his rule and enjoy all of his blessings and to care for his kingdom. He wanted us to have that intimate relationship where we walk with him and we talk with him. And this was this was the model of the kingdom, the pattern. Um, Genesis 3, early in the Bible, uh, the fall, um, man messed it up. We broke trust and fellowship with God in the world and each other when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of good of knowledge of good and evil. Um, God knew this was going to happen. This was not a surprise to him. He, he called to them, though. He knew where they were, but he knew they were hiding. Um, he called to them, where are you? Um, and they were ashamed because they were naked. Uh, he covered their nakedness with animal skins, and if you think about it, that is the first—that's the first innocent blood shed. That's the first sacrifice in the Bible um, for sin. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden, Eden as punishment, um, but it was also for their protection. He did not want them to eat of the um, tree of life and to live in that sinful state that they were in forever. So um, he is loving them while he's also um, disciplining them. All of God's creation was broken at that point. Um, nature and humankind. We, uh, we inherited that sinful nature, and we live under our own rules, so we don't enjoy all of God's blessings. Um, but we face his judgment. But he has a plan, and the Storybook Bible calls it the secret rescue plan. Um, he has this secret rescue plan to bring his people back to him. So we see nine generations later, um, it's so bad, the flood. God destroys most of creation, spares Noah, the animals. Um, starts over with a blank slate. Five generations after that, uh, the people have um, 
come far enough that, that they are trying to build their way to heaven through the Tower of Babel. And that's when he scatters the people across the face of the earth. Uh, just uh, five generations after that, we see the beginning of the secret rescue plan through a man named Abram. So we move to the promised kingdom. If somebody will read that, uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that's under the promised kingdom on the handout. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's calling Abraham, and he makes some unconditional, one-way promises to him, and, or a covenant. Um, through Abraham's descendants, of which he currently had none, uh, God was going to establish his kingdom. Um, he was going to... Um, these descendants would be his people living in God's land and enjoy his blessing and through them all the peoples on the earth will be blessed and that includes the peoples here in this classroom. Um, this promise to Abram was partially fulfilled in the history of Israel but it was only finally fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Um, so we in the partial, this partial fulfillment that we move to um, we see the line of patriarchs after Abraham. He had Isaac. Isaac had the twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob stole the birthright. He was a deceiver. He wrestled with God, and God changed him and changed his name to Israel. That's where um, Israel comes from. He, uh, Jacob, or Israel, was the father of 12 sons, among them Joseph. Um, Joseph was the favorite brother. His jealous brothers sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt as a key advisor to the Pharaoh, and he was able to forgive his family and spare the whole of Israel um, during the worldwide famine. So after Joseph's death, and um, his sons and his brothers and their future descendants formed the 12 tribes of Israel, and their numbers grew and grew, and it frightened Pharaoh. Um, they, were, they were a people. They had the people, but they had no land yet. Um, goes, God called Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses was the first prophet. About it. Um, God revealed his law, um, the Ten Commandments, um, and the other laws of ritual and purification and things like that at Sinai to Moses, and Moses brought them to the Israelites. That was the job of the prophet. God's laws are meant to protect his people, but also to set them apart. And if um, the example is used that the law is like the fence around the playground. God wants you to enjoy everything that there is in the playground, and it's all good. But he wants to protect you from the ditch or the, the weeds where the predators are. Um, so the people, they spend the time in the Sinai Desert, as Deborah mentioned. Um, they, they live by faith in God's provision for him, that manna um, uh, that we've talked about, and the water from a rock. And they learn what it means, means to be a holy nation and to be set apart and for God. So Joshua takes the next generation then into the promised land. So now they have... Um, people and land, and they have God as their king. They don't have an actual king. Judges 21:10. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
well, that didn't work out so well. <laughs> uh, they fall into this cycle of, of uh, sinfulness, and then they get punished by God, and then they, um, and sometimes that's in the form of, you know, the neighboring countries fighting and warring with them. Then they plead to God to rescue them. God raises the judges, um, certain judges, and they were fallen people. Um, God, the judges are victorious. God redeems them, and then they fall back into sin again, and it goes over and over and over. And we see that it just does not work. They plead for God with for a king, um, just like all the nations around them have an actual king. The prophet Samuel anoints Saul and later David, and um, under these kings and um, David's son Solomon, they enjoy about 120 years of peace and prosperity. Solomon built the the temple, um, the holy temple. The people are a nation in their own land, and they're experiencing God's blessing at this time. Um, this is kind of the peak of their history to that point. Um, sin creeps in again, and the kingdom splits into two. Um, those 12 tribes that we were talking about earlier, 10 tribes make up the northern kingdom, two tribes make up the southern kingdom. This happened under Solomon's son. Um, these kingdoms were destroyed by Assyria and by Babylon. The northern kingdom of 10 tribes was just completely dismantled. Their capital, Samaria, was destroyed. Um, Babylon um, captured the southern kingdom, and most of the people there, um, that was, those were the remaining ones, they were exiled, and the temple was then destroyed. And it seems like this is the end of Israel's hope. But we know that it isn't yet, um, because God has that guaranteed commitment to Abraham. God spoke to both the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Israel was the northern, Judah was the southern through the prophets before, during, and after their defeat and their exile um, by the surrounding nations. And they spoke of sin and the consequence of judgment, and they also just urged the people to repent. Um, God was still in charge during this time. He was using these other nations like Assyria and Babylon to carry out his judgment on the Israelites. Um, the prophets... Um, held out hope for the future kingdom. They spoke of God's eventual triumph over sin and disobedience through a Messiah that would come to rescue them, that secret rescue plan, and would establish a nation that would rule forever. Um, most of the Jews thought this would be in the form of a political ruler and that Israel was going to become a great nation again. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That, um, that the prophet Isaiah is speaking of the suffering servant. Um, Israel identified with this message as a country because they felt that they were the suffering servant, but they, all, they did not realize that it was also pointing forward to this greater suffering servant. Um, Babylon fell to Persia, and then the southern kingdom, they were allowed to return home. Um, later, Persia fell to Rome. That was the that was the time period that Jesus was born into. The Israelites under Persian rule were allowed to rebuild their temple and the walls of Jerusalem. But it just it was the beginning of a new kingdom for them, but it was not as good as the time of David and Solomon. So spiritually speaking, they were all still in exile and they were waiting. And there was this period of 400 years um, between this prophesied kingdom and um, the initiation of this new kingdom where we heard from no prophets at all. Um, the 
after the 400 years pass, the next prophet that we hear is John the Baptist, who is announcing Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, John 1:29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So God's secret rescue plan came in the form of Jesus, and he fulfilled just so many scriptures through the time and the place and the circumstances of his birth and his life. He would be called the Word because he himself was God's message. He was everything that God wanted to say to the world in a person. Um, I've got some other scriptures here. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son whoever believes in him should not perish um, Jesus was the complete fulfillment of the Old Testament laws and a new covenant was established um, Matthew 5:17, Jesus says do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them and um, Ephesians 2:8. Uh, for it is by faith we have been saved through grace, and this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. So Jesus, um, or God with Emmanuel, God with us, he was baptized, numbered himself as a transgressor, um, was tempted, performed miracles. He taught about the kingdom of God, and he did the most blasphemous thing. He forgave people's sins. Many believed, but those who didn't had him crucified. Um, his crucifixion and death and resurrection also fulfilled prophecy. He chose 12 disciples, which were symbolic of a, the 12 tribes of Israel, but it's a greater Israel that's coming. Um, one other thing is just that these disciples and everyone in the Bible, um, other than Jesus, Moses, um, the judges, the kings, the patriarchs, the prophets, the disciples, even Paul said he was the chief among sinners. They were all weak human beings, but God's power was made perfect in their weakness. He deliberately chose the weak, the people who couldn't do it, so that when things were accomplished, people would glorify God himself and not the people. But we just got a couple more minutes left here. Um, but so Jesus proclaimed the kingdom um, in Acts 1 6 so when they come together they ask him Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel they thought oh here we go we're going to be a great nation again where's our ruler <laughs> this is great um, he said to them it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so um, the Great Commission, we're to go and make disciples. They, the disciples traveled around all the synagogues around the known world, and this, they were able to do this because these synagogues were there because the Jewish people had been exiled to these far lands. So if they had stayed together as a nation, this would not have been could not have been as accomplished as easily. Um, the book of Acts talks about the history and spread of the gospel. Um, these last days started at Pentecost and they continue until Christ's return. It is not for us to know the time, but until His coming again, we have the Scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit. We're li we're living in this this overlap period it's, um, now. But it's not yet. This is the this is the future kingdom, and we are in this period. It has started with the first coming of Christ, and we're in here. 
we can enjoy all the blessings, but things will not be perfected until his second coming, and we will be living in that period. Um, so the perfected kingdom at the second coming, uh, we have a hope. There's a, a scripture in your handout, First Peter chapter 1, 3 through 4, that talks about the imperishable inheritance that God has in heaven for us. Um, we It started in the garden, and it ends in a holy city. And it's, it's the consummation of the whole human struggle to create this perfect and good and beautiful world filled with um, beauty and order. And But the thing is, it's not built on human striving. It's just simply God's gift to us. Um, there's no tears in heaven. Thank you, Eric Clapton. Um, only joy. Uh, Revelation 21, 20, 21, verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So God is going to be present everywhere, face to face. We won't go to church. We will be church. <laughs> and um, that's the vision with which it ends. So I'm just going to... Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wasn't that an amazing? You, you had less time than yes. you thought. How about that, for a, yeah. a short and brief yeah. example of what mama birding is? Yes, and you, I, you know, I will tell you, I'm so milk. thankful for this class. Less than 10 years ago, I think, when I was in a small group, I literally could not pray out loud without sweat dropping from my hands on the floor in a, in a sound that I could hear. <laughs> and so I'm just, you know, it's, it's I'm the weak. I'm the weak person that, that God is working through. And so I thank you to all my teachers, to Fran and to Deborah and to Heidi for starting this program. So, um, will you pray for us yes, as we go I will. out here? And if Without you, my hands I, dripping with sweat. And if you, I hope you could hear everything. If you couldn't, go, go to the website and hear more. Again, this whole big structure of mm-hmm. scripture, we learn the context, we learn the big yeah. picture so that when we open our Bibles, we know where we are. We have the bigger picture mm-hmm. of the roadmap and we can say, oh, we're, we're right here. And then it makes so much more sense and God can speak right. to us so much more fully through it because um, we know that our story fits within his story and we get the sense of his bigger story. So thank yes. you for sharing that yes. with us. Yes. Please come up and ask Trisha or, or Fran or mm-hmm. um, just about anyone else here, but I'll highlight those two. Gretchen and Kristen are also current teachers yes. for the two mm-hmm. um, discipleship classes. Ask them any questions about the class if you might have them. Um, but Trisha, will you pray for us? Yes, I will. And thank you for that synopsis. That, that was the bow that we needed to tie it all up. So, um, Dear Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful Mother's Day. Thank you for all the uh, for motherhood. Uh, Lord, thank you for all the mothers represented here Um I ask you to be with those who have lost mothers, Lord, or with those who want to be mothers but are unable to today. Help us to remember them and um, bless them, Lord. Um, I thank you for your scriptures, Lord, and your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Um, I just ask that you light a fire within each of our hearts so that just a hunger and a thirst for this manna Um, that you have for us Lord in the scriptures and that you just give us that that unquenchable thirst to um, to get into it and to learn more about you and to draw you draw us closer to you Um, and I I just ask all these things in the name of your precious son Jesus Amen. 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 Amen.